welcome to Financial Footsteps, Candid Conversations with Financial Leaders, the podcast that takes you deep into the minds of the masters behind the numbers. Join host Chad Dean as he connects with financial leaders as they share their journeys so that we can gain valuable insight from their failures and triumphs. Get ready for candid conversations, behind the scenes anecdotes, and practical wisdom that will transform the way you think about your career in finance. Put down the balance sheet and listen in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Financial Footsteps, where we explore the background and careers of financial leaders for the benefit of those who want to follow in their footsteps. My name is Chad Dean, your host. I've been a recruiter for 27 years, and I'm the owner and CEO of Integrated Management Resources, a Phoenix-based executive recruiting firm established 33 years ago. Integrated is the sponsor of this podcast today, and I am very excited about our guest today, Jack Spitzer, the CFO of Plexus Worldwide. Jack has had a long career in accounting and finance and is full of wisdom that I know will be incredibly beneficial you practiced that. to our listeners. Well done. Welcome, Jack. How you doing? Good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And uh, thank you for being here. I went short sleeve shirt today because it, you know, I want to brag a little bit to all those people that are out of state that it is um, third week in February, and I think it's going to be 80 today, yeah. something like that. Yeah, I'm dying right now, yeah. actually. So it feels like a Zoom interview in person right <laughs> I, now. <laughs> I should have actually worn shorts, but nobody would notice since uh, we're sitting down. But I uh, don't have pants on right now. But oh, that's not, great. Let's not share that. Yeah. Well, that'll make everybody smile and uh, make them feel more <laughs> awkward than you. So <laughs> yeah, well done. Thank you. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. This is the personal side, you know, your family, hobbies, where you grew up, that kind of thing. Yeah. Born and raised in Ohio. So I grew up in the Midwest. Very proud of that. From a single parent family, my mom was a school teacher. So my sister and I and my mom grew up together and moved here in my early 20s. I've got five kids, married, four kids in their 20s, and then I've got a first grader. So it's been really interesting second time through. Yeah, I've been out here for quite a while. I really enjoy the Phoenix area, mostly because of the weather. My passion is uh, and hobbies involve traveling. I, I do like to travel. I've been able to go see a lot of places, but... There's a lot of other places I still want to see at some point. And um, I also like astronomy and um, space exploration and rockets. Um, I enjoy books on leadership. I spend a lot of time listening to books on different types of leadership styles and that sort of thing. So very, very non-nerdy things, you know, rockets and... uh, and satellites and things like that. Yeah, so, sure. Very cool things. We're actually going to cancel talking about your career and just go down those um, those pathways because uh, I also like rocket <laughs> science. I think that's super cool. And what an incredible time where we're talking about sending people to another planet. Yeah, it's really amazing to see the rocket technology. And I think the, uh, you know, the, 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 the big rocket's going to take off again for the third attempt, so that'll be really interesting. There's another uh, lander on its way to the moon from the U.S., a second attempt, from a private um, perspective. So lots of good things going on in the space world, and um, it's very interesting stuff. Again, I'm a big sci-fi guy as well, so I really enjoy anything that's, uh, you know, not of this world. 
which probably explains a lot. So let's say they wanted a CFO on Mars. Would you raise your hand and go away? What is it? Two years? What's the travel time? I don't uh, even know. I think it's probably like eight months, but I'm afraid of heights. So <laughs> I'm not sure Mars is in the cards. That sounds really high. Yeah. Yeah. To up. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, I don't like uh, I don't like that kind of thing, but I do like to watch it. So I, I got I got to see the space shuttle take off once in person, and that was a really cool thing. And I, that kind of uh, you know kind of fueled the fire nice. you know, to watch more of it. So nice, it's really interesting stuff. So where's your favorite place you've been in the last couple of years for travel? Probably to 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 Europe. My wife's from England, so um, been over there. Um, but my probably my all time favorite place I've been is Bora Bora in Tahiti. So went there for a honeymoon and. Really enjoyed it. Thought it was a once in a lifetime thing, but definitely on the plan to go back. So got one of those huts above the water and really enjoyed nice. it. And took it in. So it was, a, it was a great experience. I've always wanted to do that. It looks so beautiful in pictures. I'm sure it's, it's just it's as a, good. Exactly the same in person. Yeah, it's just breathtaking. Yeah, I, I like travel as well, and uh, I married a flight attendant. So oh, okay. <laughs> so no, no excuses. No excuses. Yeah, yeah. we uh, we can travel wherever we want in any time. So Very good. That's pretty nice. Yeah. Um, so take us back, uh, you're currently CFO, but let's take us back to the genesis of your, your decision to make a career, uh, or what did you do? You know, you were in college, you went yeah. to Franklin college. Yeah. Tell us about that and what you were thinking at the time and what was going on. Well, it was never really a decision. I really just kind of fell into it, to be honest. So, um, I had started out, I wanted to be an architect. I was, I was in engineering school at Ohio state and I decided that, um, that that probably wasn't my path. And so I ended up at Franklin and Franklin at the time had a, at the time, and this is in the late nineties, um, was one of the first schools to come up with a program of a bachelor's in leadership. And again, like I mentioned before, leadership and studying leadership has always been kind of a hobby and an interest of mine. So I went to Franklin, got my degree in, in uh, organizational leadership and management. And um, that sort of led me here. And, uh, but while I was in school, I, I was out of my, I was already moved out. I was uh, married early. And so it was really just a matter of finding a job. And I fell into accounts payable. I started doing accounts payable work, started doing really well at it. And while I was going to school, kind of one thing led to another. I, re I enjoyed it and I moved up and one thing after another. So are you a fan of the Ohio State? Is I am the Ohio State. Okay. Fan. Yes, gotcha. Yes. Gotcha. Big fan. Yeah. It's, um, you're and the passion that comes from that school is incredible. Um, I, I learned that firsthand from a TA in Kansas in my biology program. Mm. She was from the Ohio state and she let everybody know about it. And it was, that was when they were really good too in the nineties, right? Mid nineties. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, not that they're not really good in today's day and age, but they were also very good back then. And so yeah, I heard about it all the time. It's very different there in the Midwest. Football is a is a different thing. Right. So, yeah. Right. So leadership to how did you get your first job? I mean, how did that happen? You just needed a job and there was an accounts payable job there? Yeah. So I worked at a Safelite Autoglass, which is still around hey, if you've had your windshield replaced. And so Safelite was in the process of moving to Columbus, Ohio, their headquarters. And so they didn't really relocate much of the staff. And so um, I was one of 20 people hired to staff up their accounts payable department. So all 20 of us started together. One of the supervisors came from Wichita where they were based to Columbus and she was great, but it was a, it was an interesting time to come together with a, a whole group of people simultaneously in a brand new spot with, you know, try to learn what 
you were supposed to do. So we had about two weeks. They brought some people over. We kind of trained for two weeks, and then it was just kind of off and running. And, uh, you know, back then it was very paper-based, you know, all the invoices and things you had to process. So it wasn't a lot of technology involved. But um, I was fortunate that um, our, our group was very eclectic, so I learned a lot about team dynamics very quickly. I'm a pretty competitive person, so after a while I sort of was trying to figure out, okay, what's what's the game here, right? It's it's a volume thing, but it's an accuracy thing at the same time. So we would talk about stats. So stats became really interesting to me, and so I was like, okay, where's my stats? And how do I rank against other people, and how am I doing in the department of 20 people? And so... After a while, I kind of figured out what the what the game was, and then um, and just started trying to apply myself in other areas and try to figure out you know where can I add more value, and that kind of became a theme for me throughout my career of just how do, how do I add more value to what I'm doing here, like in my seat or in my team, how do I do more than just this, and so that that kind of became one of the big takeaways from that experience. So were were they keeping stats? They were. And so every week, every Monday, we'd sit down and say, here's how many invoices came in. Here's how many went out. Here's how far behind we are by vendor. We had big vendors. We had regional vendors. So I I handled one of the Safe Lights regions. And so I had a set amount of stores. And so I had store managers and district managers and warehouse managers. And so I got to know a lot of them. And um, so we kind of kept track of the types of invoices we were processing and you know, were there GL coding errors or were there payment issues? And and so we kind of went through and audited those and we would publish them every week. And so we got to see those stats. And so it was like, okay, Monday, let's look at the stats. And, you know, if you're competitive, you know, you're trying to figure out, okay, why am I at the bottom, you know? Whoever move, thought that accounts quicker. payable would be competitive. It, it would. Well, it <laughs> or was, you made no, it. No, it was in my own world. So it was one against 20 in my head. Yeah. yeah. And, um, but it and was the other me. 19 didn't know they were playing. No, the they, game, didn't, did they? they had no idea. Zero <laughs> clues. So, you know, now it didn't, it didn't hurt that I walked around and, you know, I had a shirt made. You know, I'm, I'm number one. Number but, one. Um, That's funny. But I think when you're trying to figure out, you know, how to be, um, more engaged, you have to figure out what it means to you. And for me, it was like, well, I want to plow through the most amount of work in the best possible way. And so you start, you start thinking about, well, how can I do this better? How can I do this easier? And so it's not so much how fast your hands move all the time on the keyboard, but, you know, it's like, well, is there something else I can do here to, to make this go better? And then can we apply it somewhere else? And so that to me became a bigger part of the game. Like the stats were were fine for a minute, but um, it, it largely became how do I how do I make this more efficient? Yeah. So coming in without an accounting degree, did like really no idea no that you even wanted to be an accountant. No. What was that like? I mean, was it easy to figure out? Did they train you well? Yeah, the training was really well, and then I then I was got put kind of in a lead position. So when the supervisor was out, I did kind of her daily reports and things like that. Because that, of your leadership, yeah, un, you know, undergrad my, my, work. My, right? Yes, yeah. My uh, my gamification in my head it was clearly evident. So no, but it was uh, you know just trying to um, again make something more out of it than what it really was at the time, and try to learn as much as you can. So getting put kind of in a lead spot helped give me exposure to okay, here's how you create the stats and here's how you create the reports that everybody's going to see. And so it opened up some more doors to do more things and get a little more confident. So how does that lead to Phoenix? How did that happen? Well, as soon as I finished, it, uh, after Safe Flight, I went to work at a healthcare company and um, doing some of the same things, but I started branching into receivables and started getting a little broader accounting roles, finished school, 
the owner where I worked at the healthcare company told all of us, like, well, maybe two thirds of us that he was going to downsize the company. So we were all going to get laid off. So I had already decided right around that time that I wanted to move here. So I'm going to graduate and I'm going to move here. So this is great. You're going to sever me anyway. Uh, it's good timing for me. So it was summer. Great time to move to Phoenix. Great time to move to Phoenix. Yep. I came here in August, Oof. unpacked it by myself, had one kid and another, another one just born. So I had two kids. And uh, luckily, the week before I moved here, I lined up a job at Doubletree Hotels and, and, and started at my new job as soon as I got here. I unpacked the truck and started on Monday. It was, it was literally that quick of a turnaround. But it was really just, uh, it was largely a, a weather move, you know, just uh, shake things up. So I was fortunate that I had a job lined up before I came here. No family, no friends. It was pretty stressful. Yeah, yeah. I bet, yeah. especially with kids. Yeah. Wow. So do you have the accounting bug at this point or just it was a job and it was going to, you knew you had the experience and you would like, tell me about that. I wouldn't say I, I ever had the accounting bug. I, I think because I was always a numbers person, I was always really good at math. That was kind of one of my things I was good at. Wasn't wasn't good at other things, but I was really good at math. And so I, I really leaned into the fact that I liked that there were so many numbers, there were stats and there was, there was debits and credits and all the parts of the business that were numbers based. I was really interested in, in it. So I think that's that with the sense of uh, um, some of my experiences I had had um, early on in high school where I worked the thought of being in the business from a financial perspective, a numbers perspective is really what kind of hooked me in. Now, I didn't know at the time, was it accounting or was it more finance, you know, FP&A or treasury, but I knew there was, I was in the right realm at that time. Did you even know the difference at that time? Very high level. Cause you're so, it's, it's funny. You're so clueless and you'd, you'd think you, you may know you're somewhat clueless when you're that age, but you don't realize how clueless you are until much later. And that's a, <laughs> Which is a, a good thing, right? It's a good thing. Ignorance is bliss. It is bliss. Um, <laughs> but it's funny when you try to talk to, to people younger, that age, there's no way they can possibly absorb exactly what you're saying. It's not anything against them or what you're saying. It's just, it's a tough thing to try to convey to somebody the full scope of being that age in, that, in, a, in any kind of a role and understanding what's going on around you. Um, and I think that's, that's something that's, that's really tough. So, um, you know, I think at the, in the time I was, I was blissfully ignorant, but relying on, you know, just trying to be work hard, be smart, treat people right and just see where it goes. Let's go back to, um, the story of when you were in high school and when you were working and I respect the fact that you've been working a long time and you worked through high school. I, I just did a LinkedIn <laughs> post that I pretty much started working at 13 because I needed money. I yeah. was raised by a single mom. Yeah. And if I wanted something, I had to go and work for it and yeah. earn it. And so I, I worked my way all the way through everything. Sounds like just like you. So let's yeah. go back to that story that kind of actually might be a little bit of the genesis of all this. It, 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 it was definitely influential. And so I had done kind of some odd things, um, you know, just odd job type stuff back then. You'd, you'd, you'd shovel, you know, you'd, cut grass or whatever, but shovel I, snow, snow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's that? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's different. Um, I had a summer job at a kind of at a retail store for a summer. And that was when I, I think when I was 15 and a half, maybe when I turned 16, I got a job at the local IGA. Now IGA is independent grocer association. It used to be IGAs everywhere until they were all gobbled up. So I was There's still an IGA in 
Waukini, Kansas. Okay. Well, places like, yeah, yeah. like that, there's <laughs> probably still an IGA. There's, there's, uh, there's one in Kauai. There used to be one in Kauai. Oh, um, I didn't know that. But, um, so there used to be a lot of IGAs. So I worked at an IGA. The uh, owner was a guy named Ben Mango. And Ben was a older Italian guy who had moved here. And um, he had, I think, four stores. But he primarily was at the store I was at. So I started there when I'm 16. And as I remember the story, my mom will probably tell me differently. But I think I turned 16. My mom came home the next day and said, I got you a job at the store. And my mom had been shopping there my whole childhood. So um, anyway, I started there. and. Um, he was, you know. Wait, a, were you looking for a job or your mom no. just came home and said you got a no. job? She's like, you got a job. I love it. It's like you start tomorrow. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. So I had been there as a kid, you know, I've been there a lot. So anyway, start start the job. And, you know, again, coming from single parent family, it was a great spot for me to be around somebody like him because he had crazy good work ethic. He had obviously made a success of himself. He taught me a lot about the value of customer. And so I would watch how he operated and listen to the things he said. He was a really tough guy, but it's super generous heart, super warm heart. But he, the way he talked about customers and the way he talked about customer experience, it stuck with me ever since. And so when you understand the value of somebody coming into your business, whether old days, it's all face-to-face or e-commerce today, but when you really understand the value of somebody coming in, If your mentality is to serve them, right, as they come in. So in the store, it's like we're taking your stuff out to your car. Like we used to take everybody's groceries out to their car. We wouldn't leave carts in the aisle. We wouldn't leave cardboard boxes laying around. Like we were always thinking about how does this look and feel to the customer? Like we don't walk by people without saying hello or good morning. And so when you see all those little things and you add them all up and you see the effort, like the guy's... 60 and he's working 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. Like that's that's the display. That's the standard. It's hard not to see it and take it into account when you're at that age and impressionable. And so I quickly learned like I started out bagging. Then I was a cashier. Then I was a stalker. I worked in produce. I worked back in the deli. And so when you start working around the store and you realize it's different things and you're getting opportunities to work in other areas because of your work ethic and the way you treat people, it, it sticks with you like, Oh, this is, this is the way, right. Not to be Mandalorian, but this is the way. Right. So I think for me, I've always been a person who's started with service. And so that was the perfect environment for me to be in a very service focused, customer focused environment to be reinforced with, this is the way you do it. And so you just see it all the time. And the reward was I got to work even more hours. <laughs> so I had Make summers. More money. I had like 60-hour weeks in the summer as a teenager, which was kind of weird. You know, my friends would be there like six hours a week. And I'd be there 60. But it was a, it was a result of the fact that I had already earned his respect. But it, it was also a lot of the things he was preaching were things that I knew in my heart were the right things to do take care of people, right? You take care of people that things can take care of themselves. So it doesn't matter if you're working with them or their customers coming in. So those, those things were, I did that for three years. Those things were very impressionable. And, um, at the end of high school, he gave me a, some scholarship money to go to school. He was a very, uh, big influence. His family was involved with the store. So 
it was a great experience for me. Sounds like very meaningful. Very meaningful. Had a very strong impact. So I don't think there's a CFO that's sitting in the chair or has sat in the chair that you're sitting in right now, not your CFO chair, but this podcast chair that hasn't mentioned work ethic and how important it is. Yeah. And I've asked this question when it comes up and inevitably it came up. Yeah. Is that inherent in the individual or is it a learned skill? I think it's yes. It's, it can be both. I am, for me, watching my mom work hard, it was like never a thought in my head not to work hard. It was just, that's what I saw. Like you'd see somebody go to school and come home and try to do everything all at the same time. And when you're little, you don't fully appreciate it. When you get to be a teenager, you start to get it a little bit more, especially when you start working. You're like, oh, this is hard. And then, of course, further on in your career, and you look back and you're like, you have kids and you're working. And then you're like, oh, by yourself, super hard. But I think it's, um, I think you can learn it if you're around the right people, even if you didn't necessarily weren't influenced it early on. And I, I think it's, it's something that some people are around and they still can't be influenced by it. And that's where I think it maybe it becomes a little problematic. Some people only have one speed mm-hmm. and it's not the right speed and it's just the way it is. Yeah. That's, I think one of the keys to our society is teaching hard work and the value of it and, mm-hmm. and having that mentor and it sounds like you had more than one, including a parental mentor that mm-hmm. taught you the the power of hard work. Yep. And that is, I think, and I just truly believe that hard work will take you much further than, than anything else. I It'll overcome not, a lot of deficiencies. I could not agree more with, with that. I think, I think work ethic is gigantic. Yeah. All right. So you're at Hilton and, uh, and then, you know, are you, what, tell me like, when did the, well, the next role you went to, tell us about that. You, you kind of went into more of the IT side of things. It looks like. Well, I went to my, my, uh, double tree Hilton life was short lived. So after I get laid off from my job in Ohio and move here, I'm at double tree for, maybe three weeks and find out we're merging with another hotel company. Good and then, time. And, and I think about a month after that, we found out that that Doubletree's leaving Phoenix corporate office is leaving and moving to Memphis. So I had an opportunity to move to Memphis, but I'm like, well, I just lived in Columbus. So if I wanted to live in Memphis, I'd live in Columbus. <laughs> so I was like, no, thanks. So now I'm out of two jobs. Now the good part was uh, uh, several of us at the time, Starwood had just bought Sheraton and Weston and they were ramping up. So I, I just over the weekend switch over to Starwood. I stepped right into a great opportunity. I mean, I'm, I don't know, 27 or something. I go in there and because they had made these huge acquisitions, Starwood was just this little tiny REIT, but they made these huge acquisitions. So there was an immediate, like my fourth week, I'm on a plane to Seattle where I spent like two months with like six or seven of my colleagues trying to figure out how to assimilate all the accounting functions back to Phoenix. And so it was such a whirlwind to like spend less than a year at Doubletree as you're winding down and feeding things off. And then next Monday you're like, oh, I got to start this job. And you're up at, you know, another city, you're gone for a couple months. And then you're like a consulting gig. It was, it was odd. And so I'm like, oh, so you're, you're, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was, I was just winging it. But again, that's where work ethic 
you know, does come in. And then a few months later, we're in Boston doing the Sheraton transition. So in my first year, I was like, I don't even know what Starwood is. All I know is these Weston jobs and I know these Sheraton jobs. But I was around a lot of great people, a lot of smart people. And um, so my first year there in accounting was really just assimilation, how to bring it all in and and some of the crazy processes we were doing to try to make it all work um, with with not much. So one example is uh, I was overseeing payables and, and billing and receivables there. So we used to print out all of our hotel invoices every month for all the fees, all the backup, lay it all over the floor everywhere and sort it and staple it because we our system couldn't email back then. So and then we'd have to make double copies of it, mail one of them out. Overnight? Yeah. <laughs> Please pay us. And then save the other one because they would call and say, I never got it. So we pulled all the file and do this whole thing. And it's like, it was, it was crazy. It was craziness. Three different ERP systems at the time, you know, trying to mesh it all together and go live on a fourth. So anyway, it was a, it was, a, again, it was a great experience though, because it was chaos. It was uncomfortable. And I think it's really important to acquire the skill of being uncomfortable. I think being uncomfortable breeds confidence. And so if you have a good work ethic and you're comfortable being uncomfortable, I think that it, what it'll output is confidence. And so for me, all of that taking place in a year just was like an acceleration of learning, right? Just being around, clearly I was around people that knew better than me um, and some that maybe didn't, but it was a, it was a fantastic opportunity. And uh, I was very fortunate to, to step into Starwood. So what skills besides being uncomfortable and just everything on the accounting side, what did that particular job teach you? I think early on, you know, there's a lot to do with how do you create something that's good, that has rigor and is repeatable. And so when you're looking at massive amounts of billing or you're doing jobs that are a lot of volume, like there's a lot of debits and credits to process or there's a lot of bills to, to, to pay or there's a lot of bills to send out, you know, you have to really figure out, okay, well, how can I possibly do this in the most efficient way other than just work like 15 hour days? And so um, I think establishing um, what good looks like is, was an important theme in my career at Starwood. And I think you learn um, what good looks like by being in it. And the only way to, to really know if later on in your career you end up some company and you can step in and you can figure out pretty quickly where are the good pockets and where are the pockets that need improved. But that's a result of being around and working at a place where you are forced to learn what good looks like. And that sticks with you. And so that becomes a great teacher to, you know, through trial and error, a lot of, a lot of mistakes, you know, along the way as well. Like, okay, that didn't work out very good, or that wasn't the greatest thought in the world. But getting to fail and to succeed and try to do that at a, at a high velocity Eventually, you kind of figure out, okay, this is this is what it looks like. But more importantly, you figure out a path to figure things out. And so you don't really realize it at the time, okay, I solved this billing thing or I solved these other things. But what you're really solving is the ability to solve. And so, again, it's it's an uncomfortable thing to have to solve something where there's no playbook, right? And so once you, once you get comfortable kind of solving things, um, then you realize after a while, well, what what can I not solve or what more can I solve? 
and but it, you have to learn how to solve things. And so again, that's that's part of the trick over time is just it's not really getting the billing out better back then or paying the bills more efficiently. I mean, it's fun for a minute, but it's really just like, okay, how do I what's what's my learning path to take on something new and make it better in the most efficient way possible? And so you start thinking about, okay, there's a there's a a process in your head of how you go through that. And it's a great, pattern thing. Yeah, right? a pattern. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's a great learning experience when you can figure out how to figure things out. Well, I think the key that you said to figuring things out is is making mistakes and learning from those it mistakes, is. right? How many iterations did Edison have to go through to come up with a light bulb? Oh, <laughs> a lot. A lot. Yeah. So, and I'm going to keep asking you this, and maybe you don't even have it, but where, when did, was the accounting bug biting at this point? <laughs> well, here's, here's the thing. So again, I was a, I was a numbers fan, right? So I would say the accounting bug never bit just to answer that once and for all. It was okay. more just like, it was more later just about trying to be true to what I was. And so the reality of what I was is, or what I am, I'm, I'm a fixer. So I enjoy being in finance a lot. I like numbers. But the core of what I am is I enjoy fixing and building things in the concept of serving. The IT opportunity you mentioned before was, um, was a, a role that got created to at, at, uh, at Starwood where they were creating a liaison between our ERP department and IT and accounting to be the go-between. So accounting wants this thing done. IT was going to develop it. Okay, Jack's going to sit in the middle. He's going to interpret it in accounting language to the developers. He's going to test it. He's going to tell the developers what's wrong with it. And he's going to keep testing until he feels like it's at a sufficient spot to let the accounting people try it. And so that was kind of my role was the in-between. And later it turned out to do, you know, implementations and things like that. And I went to, I went to, got some SAP training. Um, but at the time it was like, oh, well, I can fix a lot of the accounting things if I sit down here and work on them through the accounting lens, sitting with the IT folks, sitting with the developers, like this report you just built, it's kind of half of what they're looking for. This enhancement you're creating that they're asking for, it's not quite the way they need it to be. And here's the reasons why. And so then I felt like, okay, I'm going to make a difference to the group I just left by sitting down here with this group and talking and, and try to understand how do I translate, how do I be the United Nations between dev speak and accounting speak? And so it really kind of more fit into, okay, I can, I can make things better in this spot. So I said, yeah, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go try that. It's uncomfortable. I have no idea. The only non-tech person down here, I'll go try it. So I just came up with the name of our podcast. <laughs> I'm a fixer. I'm a fixer. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I just, yeah. I've never heard anybody well, I just try to say portray it, it that way. Straight talk as possible. That's just kind of yeah. the core, right? Right. And so I've never really thought of of it in that way. And so that's that's fascinating. So do you know at this point that you want to be a CFO? Is that on your radar? Like when? when no, did... I don't think so. Um, I think that came a little later. So after IT, I, I, I moved into, we launched Six Sigma. So I became a black belt and um, I got to, you know, work for the CFO and basically whatever project he told me to work on for his team, I worked on. And that's, I think, where 
I started to realize like, okay, now that I'm going to get exposed to a lot of other areas of finance through projects, right? I'm looking in Six Sigma, you're looking for defects. It's, it's lean management. I'm looking for defects. Like, why is this process broken? Or how do we fix this other thing? How do we make something more profitable, more time efficient, whatever it is. And I did some ho- uh, hotel projects as well, but the excitement there of taking what I'd done in IT, which was a lot of just being in between on projects and then applying it like the full-time job is the CFO wants you to go help treasury or he wants you to go help HR at the time or whatever it was. So then you get exposed to their teams and what they're working on and what they do. And you start seeing things in a bigger light, how things are connected, right? This thing over here feeds this other thing over here, feeds this other thing over here. And then I think that's when I started thinking, okay, at some point I probably need to find something with a bigger scope instead of just solely being a fixer. The fixer. Yes. <laughs> that sounds like the a tool belt. In, a, in, a, in a Tarantino movie, right? <laughs> yeah. Isn't it? The fixer? Isn't yeah. That it, uh, yeah, that's another, that's another episode. <laughs> but I think that's where it kind of opened my eyes. I didn't know what it was, but I knew like if I had more scope, I could probably make a, maybe a, a more influence on getting things the way maybe they, they could be or should be. So I see a, another theme here. It looks like while, during the Six Sigma black belt work that you were doing, you were also getting an MBA. I went back to school. My MBA experience at ASU was fantastic. And so at the time, this is right around when um, Dr. Crow came in. I think when I started is right when he came in. Same here. So same here. Okay. Yeah. So at the time, the program I was in was a, was a lock, locked cohort program. So I started, it was one class at a time. It wasn't meant to get you done in nine months. It was two years, one class at a time, but it's the same group of people. And the same group of people was fantastic experience because there were people in there more experienced than me, maybe the same experience as me, but diverse group. And when you get super comfortable in a classroom setting with people and you can start talking about whatever the subject is in the realest way possible and nobody's afraid to share. It was a great learning experience to hear people in different walks of life who had achieved maybe more talking about how this topic impacts them or how they've applied it. And so when that, when that experience was over, I was, I was relieved because again, working kids school second time around, it's not fun that was the evening program, right? That was evening. Yeah, I was in the same program. Not, it, but I didn't have kids. Yeah. That just throws that that's astronomically harder than what I did. Yeah, well it was it was tough and then uh, I think at the time my uh, fourth it was right around 9/11 and my fourth one was born when I started. So no, it was tough, but when it was over, I was so relieved it was over work-wise. I I don't like homework. Um I don't like actually doing the work. But I love the conversation. I love hearing what people are doing and hearing people's thoughts about things. And so I, I really, like the first six months, I was so used to running around. I didn't know what to do with myself. And I thought, should I get a PhD? And I thought, you're an idiot. What are you going to do with that? <laughs> Nothing. Zero. So that, that went away very quickly. But I missed, I missed the interaction a yeah. lot. Like yeah. the, it was, it was, and I had talked to some other classmates and they were the same way. Like we used to go out after class, we'd go like out to happy hour together. Like we were tight. 
Yeah, we did the same thing. It was, it was great. a great experience. I loved it. So why did you choose MBA versus master's in, in accountancy since you never really had the, the true accounting um, <laughs> bug training? Yeah. Training, yeah. Um, no, that's a good question. I think, you know, if I were telling young folk today, I would say, look, if you want to go into accounting or finance, I would say I would get your CPA. Now, unless you know for sure, you're not going to get anywhere near accounting or maybe maybe even CFO. If you want to do something different, if you want to go into investment banking or something else, maybe maybe a CFA. But I would say finish your four-year degree, get your fifth year done if you need it, get your certification, take some time, maybe five years, then go back if you can and get your master's too. But you definitely have to have one or the other. And I, I think for me, if if I had been a little bit more aware of where things may go, I would have done it back then. I would have gotten my CPA, even though I had no desire really to be a technical person, but it would have definitely removed obstacles and um, it probably would have opened up more doors along the way. So that's good advice. Yeah, that's good advice. So now you, you come out with your MBA at what point did you know, okay, I got my eyes on the CFO prize? Like where, where did that, where, where was that spark? Well, I, I think it, um, I think for me it started after I left Starwood, but one of my things I realized after I left Starwood was I stayed too long at Starwood. And I think we all have things that are, you could consider are a blessing and a curse. And I, I have two or three of those things. And one, one of them for me is, you know, I get really attached to people because I'm I'm so service oriented. I, I I want to take care of and I want to support the people side of whatever we're doing, whatever we're tackling. I'm, I I like the we part, the us part of it. And so it was a it was a, you know, in hindsight, I probably stayed three years too long at Starwood. I was there 15 years, so I feel like if I had left sooner, I could have started this next phase of my career sooner. But when you're in something and you've put so much into it um, from where it was in your little tiny neck of the woods of, of a big company, like we were Fortune 500 by then, you know, it's, it's hard to leave it behind. And so I, I think for me, it was a, another learning moment of, am I self-aware enough when it's time to do something different? And I think if I'd been more self-aware, I could have made my next move, which I think got me on the path to become a CFO. I, I wouldn't have been a CFO there. And so it was really like, I got to find the right size company where I can come in and try to make a big enough difference to create myself an opportunity to be CFO. And I think if I had done it, if I had started that three years sooner, I probably could have got there quicker. Did you know during that three year, let's just focus on that three year period. Yeah. Did you feel anything with yourself? Like, were you constantly questioning, where do I need to go next? Yeah. And I was walking, talking yourself up like, okay, you got to get out of here. And then another year goes by or is it was, I think that's the blessing and curse thing is like, you know, your head and your heart sometimes don't talk to each other the right way. And mm -hmm. so I would, I tend to overlead with the heart and the heads lagging and some days it would flip, but then I would flip it back. And um, because there were so many great things that I liked about working at Starwood, um, the, the amount of people, the smart people I was around and great team, you know, it's a, it's a tough thing when you think about just, okay, that's over just like that. Mm -hmm. 
And after 12 years and then 15 years, it's, it's a tough thing to sever yourself in your head of, okay, I was here when it was nothing. Like it was little and now look at it. And so how do you divorce yourself of it when you're not that, you're not, it's not a question of being miserable, but it's a question of being aware enough. Like sometimes you got to leave the nest. And I think there was a lack of awareness on my part of leaving the nest sooner was probably the better thing to do. Now, towards the end, I could see things were going off the tracks and we got acquired by Marriott, um, I think maybe less than two years after I left. So that, that was really the motivation at the end was, okay, the things are kind of coming off the rails here. But at the moment, this is right after the financial crisis, probably in 2010, had I left in 2010, I think I'd have been, you know, further ahead, you know, on that next journey of just taking all that learning and just applying it in a very focused way in a smaller company that needed that kind of rigor. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was very fortunate to get the um, role at Isogenics and then later at Plexus. It's been there. It, Plexus has been a great spot for me. They gave me a great opportunity to be a CFO. The CFO that was there before was retiring and I uh, came in behind him with the eye to replace him at retirement and he was fantastic. He let me, you know, lift up the hood and dig through everything. And he was totally supportive of every single thing that I wanted to do. And it really allowed me the opportunity to get into the weeds and put my stamp on it. And then he, he left and I, I took the spot, but it was a great transition for me to kind of ease my way into it and, and work on it. Um, and get it to where, um, for me, the way I wanted to do it. And so so very grateful to Plexus that they gave me that opportunity to, um, you know, to become what I thought I could become. How'd you find that job? They recruited, they were just recruited me. So it was just, um, you know, I didn't know of it. Um, and so just good recruiting. I love recruiters. I know. They're so great. I want to jump on something because I've never had anybody with an actual degree in leadership. Uh, It took me, I probably figured out uh, servant leadership sometime in 2011 or 12 Mm -hmm. and what that actually meant. And it's built for me because I I just really care about people and I enjoy uh, learning about people and what makes them. We're the same. So was servant leadership taught in the late 90s? Was that a concept? It was. Okay. And so we talked about different types of leadership, but we also talked about situational leadership in the classes. And so you would talk about our, this scenario, you can, you can pull out of your toolkit a different leadership style as needed. And so you have one that you lean on and one that's you, but sometimes certain situations call for a different type of leadership. And so we talked a lot about that, you know, there's these scenarios and you can glean a lot of those things from different types of people. You're a religious leader, you're a military leader, you're a business leader. And so it was a great kind of experience to study different people and different professions, different types. So we talked back then and it was a lot about Drucker and, and all those contemporaries back then. And so you're diving into this stuff and you're, you're also looking at the reciprocal what's behind every good leader, you need a lot of good followers. And so it's not just the leader's job to get people to follow, but there has to be, there's some ownership by the people that are following you 
to help out, right? It's, it's not a forced thing. So, you know, to try to dive into and understand that relationship between leader and follower. And for most of us, you know, whatever leadership role we're in, we, most of us report to somebody else or we have somebody else that we follow, whether it's through work or otherwise. And so you have to figure out, well, how do I serve when I'm the follower, right? In this relationship, how do I help this person in the best possible way they can? Like, is it, can I compliment something that they can't do or are don't have time to do, or can I help them with some project or, and so I think just recognizing that um, every leader for the most part is also a follower. And so you, you have to be just as good at both. And so it was kind of a, it was a good way for me to think about no matter where I'm at or what I'm doing, I, I'm probably going to have people I'm responsible for, but their perspective is the same perspective I have up is, well, what else can I do or what, how can I help? And I think when you understand it's mutual, I think things go a lot further. You want to talk about self-awareness. That takes a tremendous amount of yeah, self-awareness. It does. What you just said, yeah. very profound uh, as far as serving up. And even if it isn't somebody within the organization, um, that's, that's fantastic. And then another question that I want to ask you, I wrote down a long time ago. It's funny. The common theme with CFOs is uh, hard work, but it's also math. Math comes up every conversation. <laughs> love math. Love math. I loved math when I was a kid. I didn't love math when I was a kid, which is why I'm not a CFO. Do you think, and I didn't, I'm springing this on you, AI and math, is math going to be as important going forward with AI right there ready to help you? Well, I don't think adding and subtracting. I mean, I I can ask Alexa now to do stuff like add and subtract, but I, I don't, I don't see math ever getting less important because I think the the more aware we become of of AI and and technology and physics and the way things work, I do believe there's there's probably a mathematical equation that can explain almost anything. And so I think if anything, it's just going to create more questions. Um, and so I think the the need for people to understand math in a different way and apply math in a different way will change. But I hope it doesn't erode from people being able to do some level of math, you know, through secondary school and and above. I I do think it's important to be able in your head to understand how a KPI at, at work is calculated and know if it's the denominator or the numerator that's making a difference. And I don't think if you understand those kinds of concepts, um, I think it's really tough in any finance position, especially CFO, if you can't think about things from a, a ratio perspective. That's fabulous. Yeah, because people talk about AI taking away people's jobs, and there's nobody that knows better in, except for somebody that's in the job. Mm-hmm. And understanding those finite numerator, denominators, all the variables that are going into it, I'm sure the machine can probably learn some of that stuff, but the little nuances of how to yeah. run a business. I, I don't know. Well, if it spits out a number and you don't understand it in your head, you right. can't fact check it. All right. So you still got to verify at least the stage we're at today with AI, you still got to do a lot of verification. No matter what you're running through AI, you can't just assume 
the output is correct. Everybody can smell AI too now. I yeah. think after about a year being or a year and a half being exposed yeah. to it. Yeah, and I think it, another thing for you know the the younger folks too. I think that you know if if whatever area of finance you're going to go into, if you're not thinking about analytics and data, whether it's accounting or treasury or FP&A, you you should be thinking about analytics. If you can take a class in in data analytics or BI, you should take it. I think I think I saw ASU's got an accounts, accountancy data analytics degree. There's already a shortage of accountants, you know, a shortage of CPAs. That's not forecasted to get any better. And so I think analytics is going to be super important. And I think technology in the role of finance, you know, it's before you're like, oh, I got budgeting software. That was like, okay, I don't use Excel. I have budgeting software. You were kind of like cream of the crop. Budgeting software, you know, will go by the wayside and it'll, it'll be more AI based, more generative AI based. So coming up now, you really have to be comfortable with technology. I mean, if you're going to be a leader in finance, it's going to be very tech driven. I think that's an important thing for people in school to think about and embrace. Or if you really like that even more than finance, like if finance is a secondary thing, um, I don't think you have to go into IT. I think you can go into finance and still be very IT focused mm-hmm. because there'll be so much of it in the in the future. Great advice. Yeah. Data analytics. Oh my gosh. Um, as a recruiter, and we're looking at all the jobs and what all yeah. of our clients want. Everybody wants that that yeah. understanding. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go back to the leadership thing because I always think this is important. Everybody's sitting here going, "Am I a leader? Mm-hmm. Is everybody innately a leader? Do you have to? Is it? Is it uh, again?" Let's, you know, is it a learned skill? Is it trial and error? Or do you think there's just natural born leaders and you as a leader expert, I'm going to call you a leader expert because you have a degree in it. What are your thoughts on that? I I think there's, there's always people that are naturally good at something. And I I don't think leadership's any different. So I think you're, I think there's, there's some natural inclinations there. If, If you realize that this is something that you, you're probably good at, like, rounding people together and getting everybody focused and pointing in the right direction, regardless of what the business is. If that's just a general thing you're, you're naturally good at, I think, I think there's definitely that. Um, but I do think it can be learned. And, um, I think where there's a shortfall today is people that are becoming first time managers or even harder, what I would call a director level or above is like a, a leadership position in my head. You know, I think, First-time managers, I, I don't know if companies are still very good about really giving people the proper tools to be a manager. Like, I think the first time I became a manager, I just relied on people's skills and work ethic. I know I, I didn't realize what I didn't know, but there was no training. There was no mentor. There was not There was nothing. And I, I think that companies set themselves behind when they're not prescriptive with the people that they have. So if you're a first-time manager, first-time over people, I think there's there's some training and there's some mentorship. You should have somebody outside your area you can go talk to and get advice from, not your boss. And I, I, I think that's a general hole that's not great, just generally speaking. Some companies do it better than others. We have a really good L&D um, team at, um, at Plexus that I'm super proud of. But when you get into the leadership position – a director position, I think going from manager to director is the, is the biggest jump. And in my head, it's the biggest jump because you've clearly been successful as a manager. 
the question is, can you transition into being strategic? And so when you're trying to transition into being strategic, you're trying to think about if I was the manager of um, treasury, I'll just use an example, um, or accounting, if I was stepping into a director role, my question to the person stepping in a director role was, well, what's your vision for what this department needs to be? It's not what you know, we got everything done in our normal cycle. That's what the manager does. Like make sure everything's done best possible way. Um, but where does it need to go? Well, one thing is maybe it's AI, maybe it's technology. Like, can you articulate, we have to transition this into this to stay competitive or we're going to, we're growing so fast. We can't do things this way. So we've got one year to get rid of like half of this manual work. So I don't need to double the size of the team. That would be a strategic position. And I think it's hard when you're a manager to like step into a director spot. And I think that too needs some prodding. It needs some training, you know, it needs some mentoring. And I think you do that was going to be my next question. Yeah. Are people natural strategists? You know, no, they're you, not. How do you learn? And that? I think I think those as you go up, the likelihood of finding the natural is less and less. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why there's less and less people, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, what do you think? Seeking out mentors is that probably if if it's not innate in the company to teach you these next steps, what? How does somebody that's sitting in that seat says, "I want to be a manager. I want to be a director." What do they do? And they don't have any help at their company. Well, first and foremost, everybody owns their own direction. You own your own development. So I used to hear people say all the time, my boss doesn't, you know, develop me or whatever. And I'm like, look, you own your own development, your own path. So you should have in your head some idea of what you need to do in the next year, in the next two years, next three years. Now, your boss needs to reciprocate and help you with that. But I think from a development perspective, if you're fortunate enough to have a plan, you own the plan. It's up to you to make sure whatever's laid out in there in those one, two, three years, it's up to you to do them, not to push them off to the last second at the end of the year. Oh, I'm going to go check this box real quick. So I think first and foremost, you're a young person. Well, let's say you're, you're 30 and you're first time manager. Again, keep updating your development plan. You own your own track. So you, you need to have the relationships at work when you're looking for mentors, if there's no formal program, you need to figure out who are those people I can go talk to. Are they open to it? And, uh, but don't sit there and wait for some program to come to you or some epiphany to happen. Like, you know, you need a mentor, then figure it out, find somebody there or somebody, you know, at another company and form the relationship. And I think that's, that's something I, I think a lot of people don't think about when they're young. It's like basketball. You can have a really bad shooting night, but one thing you can always control is your defensive effort. And so I think when you're young and you're not quite sure directionally which way you're going or what the next thing is, the one thing you can always control is everybody at work every day should know that you have personality, you can talk, you're a team player, you will work your butt off. You'll say hi to people when you walk by them in the hallway. The reality is people talk about you, right? People are trying to forecast and picture you that are in leadership roles. They're trying to picture you in the next role. And so you have to be on all the time. You can't be up and down and moody and stare at the ground when you walk by somebody. It's just not going to work. They're going to say, well, how can they manage people when they don't even talk? So 
I think you can always control what you have in the moment. And um, no matter what's go- what your task is or what your job description is at the time, all those other things are the things that will help set you up for the next thing. And if you work on those relationship skills, you'll find the right mentor or they'll find you because they'll hear such good things about you. But it's, it's totally up to you to, to make that happen. We have two great cuts out of that, shortcuts. That, that was fantastic. This is going swimmingly, which means we're running out of time because it's going so quick. And this is, I, you know, you've touched on a little bit of this, but what would you go back and tell your younger mm-hmm. self? Well, I think, again, I would probably say, look, um, you, should get, you should get your CPA. Like, it, you don't have to be an accountant. I wish somebody would have just said that to me. Like, back then, I think I thought in my head, like, get your CPA means you're going to be an accountant. And I think at the time, is like, I didn't, I, I wasn't passionate about being an accountant. Nothing against it. I just, I was, I was okay at it. I knew I could figure things out. But I didn't see myself that way. And, but I wish somebody would have told me to do it anyway. Because it would have, again, I think it would have removed obstacles or created more opportunities along the way. And it would have made me a better person. I mean, getting your CPA is no joke. And especially now that back then you didn't have to go for your fifth year. So the requirements were lower when I was in school. So I wish somebody would have said that to me back then. I think the other thing is just, you know, again, when we start at the beginning, when you're young, it's really hard to hear advice. As a parent, I can just sometimes see like my my kids whether they ask for it or not, I give them an opinion. You know, one time I said to one of my kids, I don't remember which one it was, but they did something dumb. And I said, look, do you like open book tests? And they were like, is this, is this a trick question? So they, they paused because they thought I was, it was a major trick question. And they finally said, yeah. And I'm like, okay, so if I'm the book and you open it up and I give you the answer and you do the opposite, then why did you open the book? And I just think about in school, if you have an open book test, you never find the answer and then write down the wrong one. So why, why don't ask me if you don't want to hear it? And if I give it to you because you didn't ask me and you should have, then how can I make you understand where it comes from? I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you what I screwed up. That's really what I'm telling you. I'm telling you, I already screwed this up. Don't do it that way. And so I wish my younger, if I was talking to my younger self, I was like, listen to me, do this, do that. Don't do this. When we were young, it was the same thing, right? Whatever we were told, it was like, okay, I just, I wish there was a way when to get through and say, just don't do this. And I, I think that's the tough thing to tell yourself. Like, why'd you, that was so dumb. Like, why'd you do that? I told you not to do that. You did it anyway. You opened the book and you did it anyway. So I think if I, if I could be, we, we had a group of uh, finance interns last summer and I could tell, like I was, took them out to lunch and I'm talking to them kind of like this kind of listening. You know, I could tell old guy talking, <laughs> I got the old guy talking alert. Right. Cause I've had kids do it. Right. And I'm like, gosh, I wish I could figure out the right words or the right length to just make the point. And one of the things we were talking about is just the anxiety of not knowing exactly where into finance to go. And I said, it doesn't matter. What you have to know is it's not this address over here. It's, it's the, over there somewhere. It's not over there. So just head in the right direction. Eventually, you'll end up where you're supposed to be as long as you go in the right direction. But don't start with an address or a GPS location. Just is it north, south, east, or west? Do you like to serve? Do you like to create? Do you like to solve? 
what what is that you really like? What's you? And don't worry about the title or is it accounting or FP&A? You could start on accounting. It's okay to switch. It's fine. It'll be all right. Now, if you want to be accounting and you're like, oh, I want to work for the FBI, you know, that might be a, a different change. But I was just trying to convey to them, like, don't get so anxious about knowing exactly everything right now. Just know who you are. Be self-aware. I like to fix things, right? And I like to serve. I'm generally going to walk in this direction. I'll figure it out when I get there. And I think if you just approach it that way, it's a lot less stressful. Yeah, it takes and, the anxiety away. Yeah, just figure out the right direction. Because along the way, those are the things you're going to keep coming back to all the time, right? I like to serve. I like to fix. And that's no matter what your title is, that's what you're always going to lean on. As long as you know what you are, that's what you're going to lean on. And I think that's the bigger question of not not the title or, you know, the exact thing I have to be and I have to do this. Like that's going to it's going to change over time. Yep. And only a parent understands what you were talking about, by the way. Right. Mm-hmm. There's three parents in this room and and my son comes to me and he's a golfer and, and I played in college and I'll tell him something and, and then, yeah, okay. Yeah. And then two months later, he comes to me, Hey, Tiger Woods said this. And I'm like, huh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're here at that before. Yeah. And so yeah. Brilliant. It's, it's, it's so funny. Yeah. Thanks. What you just said is just so great and I love it. And I think that's a, a fabulous way to end the show. There's so much more here. Unfortunately, we're limited on time because you have been able to and and the essence of what you what you said, as far as people not listening to maybe their parent or their direct manager, that's the essence of the show Mm -hmm. so that people can go on here. Common themes, but hear it from the people that have made it. Mm -hmm. Your journey is different than so many others. And I love it. And that's what's great about it is you found where you were supposed to be. Mm hmm. And you didn't know what you're supposed to be, but you knew what made you happy, what drove you, and it eventually drove you to the ultimate fixer, the Mm -hmm. CFO, the chief fixer officer. Yeah, that's right. That's (laughs) right. That's it. It's really it. That's awesome. All right. Well, we're going to wrap this up, and let's just say that there is a young person out there that does want to reach out to you and get some advice and and listen. How would you? uh, How would they go about finding you? I think the easiest thing is just to go to LinkedIn and uh, and you know, send me a request or send me a message. I think that's probably the easiest thing. Okay. So great. And uh, I always like to tell everybody at the end of this, that I am uh, a recruiter. So I have uh, a very expensive LinkedIn and I'm on LinkedIn 24 seven. So you will never find a, even a day when I'm on vacation, <laughs> that there isn't a little green mark on there uh, that I'm checking LinkedIn. So you can find me uh, LinkedIn as well, or just Google Chad Dean uh, executive search. And I come up. So Jack, Thank you so much. Thank Such you. Such a great podcast. And and uh, Karen, our producer, actually said this was going to be one of the greatest. And she has incredible tuition as uh, <laughs> intuition. Sorry, tuition. Are you expensive? Tuition expensive? Uh, incredible intuition. Um, and so uh, thank you very much. Well, thanks for being gentle. And uh, I really enjoyed it. So Absolutely. I, I appreciate it. All thank right, you. Great. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Financial Footsteps, Candid Conversations with Financial Leaders. We encourage you to apply the knowledge and wisdom shared in these conversations to your own career. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. Your feedback is important to us as we continue to bring you more candid conversations and thought-provoking insights from successful financial leaders.